0: We are in 2 Samuel chapter twenty-two, verses forty-seven through fifty-one. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the seatbacks. Feel free to grab one of those if you'd like. Before we get there, um, something I've noticed for myself, I guess, in the past, I guess as I just look back on my life, weeks, months, years, uh, is the more time that I, you know. I guess when I compare weeks that I do and I don't, when I spend more time in God's word, I tend to be way more thankful and grateful, uh, hopeful, peaceful. Like all those things tend to be where I'm at the more time I spend in God's word. Um, and then the weeks that I don't, it's the opposite. And, um, you know, a little story quickly that, uh, I've brought this up to our men's group before, maybe in some, some form or fashion I've taught, but like, my day starts about four fifteen in the morning, and um, so like all my study, exercise, shower, getting ready for all that stuff happens before my kids wake up or my wife. And so between four and six thirty, I get all that stuff squared away, um, and then the kids start waking up, and then my wife and the baby. And so a couple years ago, I think, or maybe a year, um, I was you know the, everybody was up, and I was just like snapping at the kids, right? Just like hey, y'all need to be doing this, and why are y'all doing that, and. And uh, my wife, the, the wonderful, uh, my better half that she is, right? She, she tells me these words, and it was completely observational, not cutting, not uh, backhanded or anything. It was just like kind of matter of fact. But she was like, um, I can always tell when you've had your quiet time in the morning, like your devotional time, because you tend to be more compassionate and, and more understanding with the kids, right? You're not normally snapping at them like that. And I just remember thinking like, ugh. Like yeah, you're right. I this morning it was that morning in particular. It was it was just I, I don't know. I just ran out of time and didn't do it, and uh, and I, and that makes me think, you know, like man, there is just something special, supernatural and and unique about hearing from God through His Word, right? And so, <clears throat> Psalm 19. This is another Psalm of David. In verses seven and eight, he he says that that the, the law of God or the word of God, right? He kind of describes it in the different in these different ways. He says that it it revives the soul, that it makes simple the wise, that it brings joy to the heart and it enlightens the eyes. It, it it says some other stuff, but those in particular, right? It revives the soul. It brings joy to the heart, makes the simple wise and enlightens the eyes. I I think about that, I'm like, yes, that's that's what God's word does for us. And you know it it, it like Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, right? We're supposed to take this plank out of our eye. We're only able to do that through God's word so we can see clearly. Uh, it, it takes that buildup out of our ears so that we can hear accurately, and then it, it peels back the scales of callousness off our hearts so that we can rejoice purely, right? God's word does all these things for us, um, and, and his, it's his word that helps us see just how worthy of praise that he truly is, right? God's word, it, it humbles us. it it encourages us it it strengthens us it brings us peace it brings us hope it helps us to live a life that pleases god it's the it's the light unto our path and the lamp unto our feet that's that's what god's word is and that made me think about like how it's a common thing right middle of the night you're waking up you need to go here or there for that you don't turn the lights on and you end up smacking that little toe against the corner of a chair you step on a toy whatever right and and it's that thing's fault, right? It's it's not your fault for not turning the lights on, right? Like oh, if, you know, what you know, whatever comes out of your mouth, right? Like that, we're blaming those things for being where they were. But had I turned on that light and acknowledged where everything was to see things clearly, we wouldn't have this problem, right? You wouldn't have a broken toe or this anger building up within you because, right? You you had that light unto your path. You know, we we live. Busy lives. I think most of us do, right? If you're one of the few that that don't, well, that's, that's a grace for you. But a lot of us have busy lives, or we make our lives busy. Get into cruise control. We get into complacency. We lose sight of what's important, right? Focusing on Christ, and then we get bitter. We get frustrated. Uh, we get burnt out. We start blaming everybody else for everything that we're going on in life. And in reality, if our focus was on Christ and what he has done for us and who he is, right? Life would just be at least a little more bearable. Amen? Right? I mean, it would just be that much more bearable. Uh, Your problems don't go away, but you're just able to endure them, right? When you understand who who God is and what he has done for you and how he is with you as you go through these things. Now, as David penned this, this song that we're reading, which was eventually turned into Psalm 18... Uh, in this last portion we get to see God's or excuse me David's heart for God on full display right he is singing praises to God for all the things that he has done and like David we have so much to be thankful for in this life i mean there is so much for God to be praised for right and and as we go through God's word that's how that's how we're really able to see it because if we just look at what's everything around us right we if we focus on the things that are seen Versus the things that are unseen, uh, we tend to get bogged down and, and just stressed because we can't see the big picture. We don't see what God is doing in our lives and just how worthy of praise he is. As we mentioned last week, right, his plan is perfect, right? The things that God does is perfect. And so he is, for that reason alone, he is worthy of praise. But as as a point of uh, topic for our, our passage today, the question that I want to ask in order to get to our points within this sermon is, why does David praise God? Uh, why does he praise God? That's our kind of our question for today. And we have three points or three answers to that question that we're going to look at. And so within these verses, we're going to see why why does David praise God? Well, because first of all, he's worthy. God is worthy of praise. Secondly, because he brings salvation. Uh, and thirdly, because he shows steadfast love. And I'm going to talk about that that word i you know, I had read that word a hundred times, and I finally studied it out, what it actually meant. So it's, it's really cool. Uh, but yeah, we're going to see these three things uh, in this passage today, in these five verses. So without any further ado, let me go ahead and read our passage for us. This is the word of God, right? It is life-giving to us. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides truth from falsehood with it we are restored we are warned of the things that we are not to do so that we can please God with our lives that is God's word right that's that's how important it is for us so as we read God's word keep those things in mind that God is speaking to us today through his word so starting in verse 47 it says this the lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my god the rock of my salvation the god who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me who brought me out of my enemies you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Excuse me. Excuse me. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Uh, let us pray.
1: Dear only Father, we come to you, Lord, and
0: we are in desperate need of you to speak to us in this time. I I am but a willing vessel who spent time throughout this week studying your word, but it is you, Lord, who is um, the author of our faith. It is you who perfects it. It's you who washes us and sanctifies us through your word. And so, Lord, we just ask that uh, we just need to hear from you in this time. May your people in this time hear from you and respond accordingly, how you've Uh, Ordained to to see to come to pass, Um, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, and uh, may we all be blessed through it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So, as y'all know, last week we were had this little sinus infection, and there's still some lingering effects. I, it's weird. So, if I'm I'm trying to keep my throat moistened so I'm not coughing while I'm up here. But the question, right? What's the question? Why does David praise God? That's our overarching question and we're going to look at verses 47 through 50 uh, and this is our first answer because he is worthy right that's that's the first point that we're looking at because God is worthy okay so how do we see that within our verses well let's let's reread those and I'll emphasize the point that we're going to stick with it says the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God the, the rock of my salvation the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me brought me out from my enemies, you exalted me above those who rose against me, you delivered me from the men of violence, right, these are all the things that God has done, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name, right, for this I will praise you, he's given reason right there why he is praised, now we've heard this a few times already as we've preached through this uh, chapter, but it never hurts to revisit it, right, so what are the three things, I, I don't think we mentioned this in particular, but. Um, what what are the three things that are always important when you're reading the scriptures, when you're studying them, or when you're preaching them? Context, 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 right? We always need to preach, we always need to read, we need to understand and interpret scripture through its context, right? We can't just pluck a verse out, oh, this is my life verse, and disregard everything around it, right? It's everything means what it means within its own context. And so what's the context that we have here? Well, this chapter is a song of praise that David is giving. And it's come full circle. As we've talked about before, the first couple of verses are his intro or where he is offering praises to God. That's verses 1 through 4. Then in verses 5 through 20, this is David singing of God's deliverance of him. And then verses 21 through 30, he gives his reason why God delivered him. Right? Because of my righteousness, we talked about what that meant. Right? God uh, had made a covenant with his people. If they did these things, he would continue to do these things for them. David did those things, so God continued to fulfill his promise, and then we go back <clears throat> to the deliverance again, what we talked about last week in verses 31 through 46, and then we round out our time time with this week, with the outro, if you will, of more praise that David is giving, so it's kind of like a, I think of it like a Big Mac, right, you've got the buns, the meat, the and the bun in the middle, is that, is that two, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, so that's kind of how this is, right, it's a nice, big old spiritual sandwich that we're eating. Uh, from these last couple of weeks. Now some of y'all may not like Big Macs, I don't eat them, but just right for, for context. But the intro, I wanted to read that real quick because this, this is basically, he's repeating what he already told us. In verses two through four, he says this, "'The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, "'my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, "'my shield and the horn of my salvation, "'my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. "'You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies, right? That's that's how he opens, and these are the words that are pretty much reiterated, not word for word, but those same thoughts are reiterated in our passage today. Now, so what we see in verses 47, 48, and 49, these are examples that David is giving of God's deliverance for him, and then he goes on to tell us, because for these things, I, I want to praise you, right, because of this, I, I will praise you, <clears throat> and I thought about that, right, what he's talking about in these first couple of vo- uh, verses, these enemies rose up, these men of violence, right, these wicked men, they're, as David was described as a um, a man of blood, right, earlier in Second Samuel, he was he was a violent man, he was a man of war, and that's why he couldn't build a temple, but these were similar men, men that, that would fight, that sought his life, and and I thought about that, right? Like we're looking at David's life from hindsight, right? It, we, knew, we knew he was gonna beat Goliath. We knew he was gonna beat the Philistines. We knew he was gonna beat the Ammonites and all these different people. So as he's running from Saul, we're like, oh, that was close, but we knew he was gonna make it, right? We've all, we all know David's story. But really, if we think about it, in the midst of all those things, right? Who here has had somebody seek to take their life, right? Like we may have had some near misses and accidents, but I don't know if any of us, maybe maybe you have, but I don't know anybody that someone was literally trying to kill them, right? Like, people sought to take his life. And as he's in the middle of this, right, he is fearing, literally fearing for his life. This is, this is where David really is in these moments. And so this, this joy that he's experiencing after the, he's been delivered from these people is real joy from not having his head cut off, right? Like, literally not having his head cut off. And that made me think about Paul. Uh, in, in acts 23 there's an account there where there's men of of Israel some Jewish leaders they swore an oath to one another to not eat or drink until they killed Paul right they weren't going to eat or drink until they killed him and and I when I read the first time I read that I remember thinking that is some dedication right obviously they either broke that vow or they died but like, that is some serious dedication that these people looked at each other, made this oath, and were holding each other accountable. Like, we're, I'm not going to drink, and you're not going to drink until we kill him, right? And so this guy is, he, he Paul knows about it. Uh, uh, Luke writes about this account, so it was obviously known to him. So I, I can't imagine what was going through Paul's head, that these people are not going to do anything until uh, they take his life. Now, Paul experienced that. David experienced that. I don't know if any of us have experienced anything like that, but in our own lives, right, we may not have gone through something where someone sought to, to take our life, but we've all gone through different things in, in our lives that maybe impacted our life in a way where it was like a, a huge shift, right, had to occur because of a diagnosis, because of uh, whatever the issue is for you, right? Like, I know for us, it, it was with Elena, everything we went through with her coming up on a year now. Uh, that, That rocked our world, where everything shut down for months, right? Everything shut down. There was not a whole lot was going on outside of that. And so we've all been through different things, right, that have really just shook us to the core, and and we've sought God in prayer, and we're just in these moments where it's maybe not someone seeking your life, but your life is on the line, essentially, right? Uh, And and they're they're different things for, for all of us, but all of us have experienced something like that. But then the Lord answered your prayers, right? You made it through it. Maybe not unscathed, right? Maybe you, you weren't as, as um, yeah, what, whatever happened through that situation, you weren't as, as calm of a person or whatever at the end of it, but you made it through, right? And, and you're just, you're, you're thankful. After that storm has ceased, after the skies have cleared, you're finally able to look back and, and see God's hand at work through that situation and you're able to finally thank him for his grace uh, through those things, right? I see some head shaking. I think a lot of us have experienced those things. Maybe you've experienced that multiple times in your life, but from experience, right? There's there's nothing like that in experiencing that relief, right? When you when it finally comes and you're just you're thankful, whether the answers are what you wanted or not. When when God grants peace that surpasses understanding, uh, there's nothing like it, right? There's nothing like it. Um, and, and that's what David says. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing, to your, sing praises to your name. Right? He was delivered from these people who sought his life, and he was thankful for that. He was rejoicing and, and just praising God for what he had done for him in his life. David says it this way in another psalm. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Amen? I think it's it's an amazing thing when when you see someone who's on the other side of those those trials and they're on this like spiritual high, right? When they're just they they've gone through that trial and they see God's hand at work and then they're just kind of like just floating, right? It, not that life is great, but they've they've come to grips with it. They they've seen God at work through it and they're just at peace with it. There's something amazing about that, and and that this is where I, I was referring to the. The confession that i read earlier when it when it talks about us coming together that makes me think about christianity as a whole i had a friend of mine describe um this to me one way and i'm going to kind of try to re rework what he said because i don't remember exactly the way he said it but when it comes to the fellowship of believers and how we are to live life together right when someone goes through something good or bad the 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 birth of a child the death of a loved one uh, whatever, and, and everything in between, right? As these things are going on within a local body, <clears throat> this is the way I've heard it described best, and I, want, I hope this is in, this encourages you. When joy comes for the Christian, right, when, when there's an experience of joy, when, when that person is in fellowship with other believers, that joy is exponentially multiplied because we're all rejoicing together, Right? There's nothing like in in, in rejoicing in God's goodness and answered prayers for a a believer, right? Um, I know when we were going through, like I said, we were going through that stuff with Elena. When we were hearing about others experiencing blessings, it just, it gave us a moment not to think about what we were going through, right? And you're just like, thank God for that. Like, God is at work. I see it. I see these testimonies in other people's lives, and it's encouraging me uh, through those trials. So we're able to encourage one another and rejoice together. But on the flip side... When a Christian mourns and he's in fellowship with other believers, the sorrow is divided amongst the people, right? And we're able to mourn together, right? When we come together and there's a joyful occasion, that joy is multiplied because we're all experience, experiencing it together. But when there's a sorrow, when there's mourning that comes, a tragedy that comes, and we're able to come together, it divides that sorrow amongst everyone who's able to bear it together. And I, th- I think that's a beautiful truth and and that's where when people and I people do I understand this I understand why but like people don't want to share what they're going through right they don't want to bug people with the, with their issues and it's like no we need each other like we need each other we need to be praying for each other we need to be serving each other this this is how the body is supposed to operate we need to know not that we need to be nosy and digging into other people's lives it's it's important for us to serve one another that's that's what we need. And I think that's why team sports are so popular, right? I'm a Cowboys fan. I've got plenty of Cowboys fans out here too, right? Right, amen, right? And every year, we're left mourning by the time the season's over. <laughs> Don't laugh too hard, y'all been mourning too. <laughs> but that's where we are, right? But hey, that when that day comes, right, and we win the big ship, Hey, that joy is going to be multiplied. Amen. Right. It's it's just that's just what it is. Right. So. But, yeah, that's that's how it works. Right. We come together and we rejoice and it's greatly multiplied or we come together in mourning and that that burden is split, is divided amongst God's people. But, you know, so with with all that said, it's it's in these moments. Right. Going back to what we're talking about, it's in these moments of deliverance an answered prayer that we see how worthy God is of praise, right? We see it for David here, right? When he's talking about all these things that God has done uh, and we've experienced it ourselves. So yes, we see that God is worthy of praise because of his track record. His track record speaks for himself, right? Like we can see it in our lives. We see it in God's word. These, the new and old testaments are testaments of God's faithfulness to his people over and over again, we get these accounts of what God has done. And so, yes, he is worthy of praise. Now, our next point is, well, why else is David praising God? Well, because he brings salvation, right? Verse 51 says this, great salvation he brings to his king. This is the first half of that verse, great salvation he brings to his king. Now, God is the God of salvation, amen? Salvation is found in no one else but our God. And David served as a prophet and king in Israel, right? As he wrote the Psalms, as he penned these different words, he spoke on behalf of God. That's how he served as prophet. And he sat on the throne as king. These are the roles that David, uh, these are the offices that God had ordained for David. And he was known as the anointed one of Israel, right? Samuel went and anointed his head with oil. So he was the anointed one. Now, this term, anointed one, is the same title used of Jesus in the New Testament when he's called the Christ. Now, David is a type of Christ or a foreshadow of Christ. That's the terminology that's used in Scripture for him um, or in theological terms. And Jesus came through that Davidic line, right? Through David's lineage, that's how Jesus came. You can read about it in Matthew 1. And the, the, co- the covenant that God made with David was that David would always have a descendant on the throne. That's That was the Davidic covenant that was made in 1 Samuel. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ, right? We say Jesus was of that line. He's the one that sits on the throne who forever will be on that throne. That's why one of Jesus' titles is son of David, right? That's why he's described that way because he is that that offspring that would sit on the throne forever. So Jesus is the king who sits on his throne, and not only does he sit on the throne, but he is also the king who brings salvation, right? David sings God's praises because God brought him salvation. This is what God did for David. Not only salvation from his enemies, but ultimately salvation of his soul, right, which is the most, the greatest gift that God could have ever given David uh, to begin with. Now, if we go back to verse 47 when David says, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, right, we can understand exactly what he means here, right, when he's talking about this salvation that that God offers him. The God that he's speaking of is the one true living God, right, he's not some impersonal force or energy called the universe, that's not who God is, right, Uh, we're not people who send positive vibes or or good thoughts, right? That's not what we do in order to see change in someone's heart. We serve a living God, right? Our blessed rock, the rock who is our salvation. That's, that's the God that we serve. And, and I want to stress how important these words are when we think about God as our salvation, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to, to say that and to know that, but it's, it's important for us, for it to really resonate with us. It's great salvation that he brings. That's what verse 51 tells us. Great salvation he brings. Now, I think about that, and as I was kind of studying through this week, meditating on what's going on in these verses and how it's ministering to me first, because I have to, the word's got to impact me before I'm able to share anything, right? God's got to speak to me through his word in order for me to know what to share with you today. But as I was going through this chunk of scripture It made me think of Matthew 9. I I didn't know where it was. I had to Google it. But in Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36, this is what came to mind uh, whenever I was thinking about this great salvation that he brings. I I really like how Matthew describes this uh, situation that's going on here. So let me read these verses for us. Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, And healing every disease and every affliction, right? God is just just nailing it, right? Healing, preaching, doing everything, right? He's just blessing people everywhere he goes, bringing life everywhere he goes. And then he says this in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how how he sees us, helpless Sheep without a shepherd, right? Lost, right? That's that's where we are naturally. The the natural man is lost and is like a sheep without a shepherd. There's no protection, no guidance. Uh, they're just aimlessly wandering around in the wilderness waiting for a wolf or some sort of predator to attack them, eat them, and, and, and kill them, right? That's That's who we are. And as Jesus sees these people in this condition— He has compassion upon them, right? He cares for them. He loves them. I I I love that. It 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 humbles me to think about that's who I am. Because I I always picture myself as the hero in the story, right? Every movie I watch. That that's who I am. I'm not I'm not the one that needs to be saved, right? I'm I'm the guy that's doing the saving. That's how I think of myself. But then reality strikes and. And I, re- I recognize that's not who I am, right? Like, I'm that lost sheep. I'm the broken one stuck in the thicket or whatever, right? That That's who we are. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, that's that's all of us, right? Um, and, and I think it's important for us to recognize if, if that's who we are, we also need to recognize that the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching, it's not... It's not an invitation or an offer that Jesus is just kind of blanketly throwing out there. It's a command that God is giving. Right. When God speaks, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Right. An invitation isn't a it's yeah, it's a command. Right. You must believe in me. Right. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. Right. God is giving commands to his people. We're lost and we recognize that and we follow him. But there's those that are out there, right? That have no need for Jesus. The call's not for them, right? They, they, I've got this figured out on my own, right? I can, I can do this. I'm a sheep, but I'm, I'm nimble-footed, and I'll, I'll be okay, right? He's not calling them. But those that think that they can do it on themselves, they, they've got no need for Christ, and He's got no need for them. But Jesus brings great salvation. Right? He brings it to his people. We don't, we don't come to him, he comes to us. That, that's, that's the beauty of, of what Jesus does. We have this complete inability to change our own hearts, to, to do anything to achieve salvation in and of ourselves. Right? That's why Jesus said in Gethsemane, while he was praying his his prayer, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. Right. If they are able to do it on their own, that's one way, right? But there was no other way. It it took Jesus dying for our sins in order to set us free from the sin that we found ourselves in bondage to, enslaved to. Right? It's it's us that that have these flaws, and and it's God who reveals them to us and and shows us our need for him. And it's this this same God who reveals his son to us and then calls us to his side. So as i think about that right knowing that god brought me salvation right if i personalize personalize this uh if knowing that god brought me salvation when i wasn't even looking for it right i i was attending a church at the time but i was just going because that's what i'm supposed to do through the preacher at that time god spoke to me right like he just clearly called me to himself he changed my heart changed my eyes changed my my mind did all that uh, but I wasn't even looking for it, right? I was I was too busy living my life. But God, in spite of me openly rebelling against Him with the lifestyle I was living, saw fit to pull me out of that darkness and move me into His marvelous light. That that is a great salvation that God offers. Amen. Right? The, what this verse is taught—that is a great salvation that we find in God. That is the great salvation that He brought to me. That He brought. And I think that's why it's known as that that great exchange, right? That's that's what we we call it, the, the great exchange. It was his son for my sin. It was his righteousness for my wickedness. It was his love for my guilt and shame. That is a great salvation that God gives us. Now, let's move on to our last point. Why else does God offer, pra- or why else does David offer praise to God, right? Not only because he is worthy, not only because he brings salvation, but because he shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. Now, this is, like I said, this is that steadfast word is where, I, I, I don't know why I hadn't looked into it before, but it is it's a beautiful word. Now, <clears throat> before I go there, I saw this post the other day. Um, on Facebook and it mentioned it was like one of these uh, pages that it said what's a doctrine of scripture that you struggle with or have a difficult time understanding and I almost commented on there but I was like "Ah, eh, like you just never know when you post on these pages if there's going to be interaction I was like I'll just think about it and like just go over this in my head but <clears throat> what I was thinking about what I have what I feel like And maybe I'm not alone, but the thing that I feel like I have a difficult time coming to grips with is God's grace. Like, understanding God's grace fully is something that that I struggle with. Now, you're saying, well, you're a preacher and then you've counseled people and, well, you know, all this or that. Like, yes, I can articulate what grace is clearly. I feel like I can. Uh, I've debated or had conversations with. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and these other groups that have a uh, a, a perverted view of grace like I I've, I've, I can <clears throat> I can go back and forth with all, with them all day long right I have no issue with that <clears throat> so I feel like I can articulate it I have a fundamental understanding <clears throat> excuse me an intellectual understanding I feel like all that stuff is there right that principally I understand grace um, but when the rubber meets the road and I've sinned against God, and it's time for me to rely on God's grace and the forgiveness he offers through his son and how his steadfast love endures forever and how we can't out God's grace, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, right? I understand all that is true. It's, it's just hard to make all that stuff work in my head because I want to offer something back to God. Right, I want to show him that I appreciate what he has done for me and that I'm never going to sin like that again. Right, That's what I want to do. I want to show him, look, I am worthy of your grace, the grace that you've offered me, the salvation you've given me. I want to show you that I not only appreciate it, but that I'm worthy of it. That's that's where my mind goes. Am I the only one that goes there? No, maybe not. OK, okay, good, good. I was thinking, nah. but yeah, that's that's where we go. The natural man feels that way right? We want to make up. <clears throat> we want to earn grace, which it's foolish when you say it out loud because grace can't be earned. It has to be freely given, right? So, but it, it's it's a struggle in the midst of those sins. I, it's, it's a struggle. And this is where that word steadfast, it really ministered to me this week because I used to think about steadfast as, as like steady, right? It's just steady. Like if it's on, if it's in the water, it's steady. It's not tipping over. Uh, but steadfast, what it really means is that it is fixed firmly in place. It's not moving. It, it can't change. It, it's it's permanent, right? It, it's it endures. It, it not only uh, it's not there consistently, but it, it'll it'll never change. It's not like grass or rivers that can change course or anything like that. It is steady right? There's nothing in this life that's that steady, right? Everything erodes over time, right? We have no concept of finality in creation because everything is cursed, right? All of creation is cursed, so so everything's wasting away. There's things that have maybe been here for hundreds or thousands of years, but nothing is is in its original state. Everything is slowly eroding and wearing away. Everything. So we have no true concept of steadfastness, but that's who God is, right? It's his, his love it does not increase when I'm faithful. It does not decrease when I'm faithless. It's steady. It's steadfast. It's permanent. It's fixed. It doesn't change, right? And so if his steadfast love to David and his offspring is forever, I'm part of his offspring, and his love for me is forever. Amen? And if his love is steadfast, if it's permanent, it never started Therefore, it can never cease. We can't make sense of that. I think that's what makes grace and love so foreign to us because we have no concept of eternality, Because right? we had a beginning and we're going to eventually die. We, we have a temporary place in creation, and so it makes it that much harder for us to understand. But if that's his love, if it's steadfast, right, my mind goes back to who I am naturally. Right. The questions I say is, Lord, I, I, I know my heart. I know my thoughts. I know the horrible things that I've done to people and the things that go through my head that I think about people. More importantly, you know those things completely. Right. He knows them completely. So let me make it up to you. Right, let me do something to show you that, that I, I, tr- I really mean it, right? Because I know how deep down this wickedness and selfishness goes. But that's just not the way it works, right? His love is steadfast. It endures forever in spite of me or in light of my obedience. Now, these aren't the thoughts of David, right? I'm, I'm kind of opening up my heart to you guys. That, these are not the thoughts of David, but these these are my thoughts. Maybe David didn't think this way, uh, but as we've already kind of found out today, most of us tend to think in this fashion, but it all goes back to the word, right? This is where my, my mind goes, but what does the word of God say, right? We have to go back to that. His love is steadfast and endures forever, forever right? He brings a great salvation this salvation wouldn't be great if I could lose it. It wouldn't be great if it was temporary or if it was fickle or if I could do something to knock it off course. That wouldn't be a great salvation. That would just be a mediocre salvation, right? But Jesus, right, he is the one who is able to save to the uttermost, right? He is the one that who sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, right? So as I am sinning against God, it is him who is, has paid for my sins once and for all It's him who has sent his spirit to live within me, to conform me into the image of his son. It is him who convicts me of sin and and continues to point me back to Christ and his word so that I can see clearly that that those scales and callousness of my heart can be peeled away, that the the planks out of my eyes can be removed, and that, that buildup in my ears can be plucked out so that I can hear clearly, right? That's what God does for his people, and that's part of that salvation that he brings. That's that steadfast love that that he shows us and it's for all these reasons that God is worthy to be praised. Amen? Now as we kind of close out our time, I want to use Revelation chapter 5 as our our point of of application. Now you may say, Revelation? Oh no. Now there's some stuff in this chapter where you're like, what does that mean? I thought about reading the whole chapter, it's like 15 verses, but I'm going to save you all that. We're going to just read the first five verses, um, and, and we'll read this, and then I'll kind of describe what's going on here, and you'll see how it applies to where we're at today. So, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And here's here's the kicker right here and one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the line of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals that i i love that oh man i <clears throat> i was able to keep it together as i read it but man it's such a it's a beautiful picture when you know in heaven right Light shines everywhere, and there's nothing hidden from the sight of God. And so it's easy for us to lie to one another. You can't lie to God, right? So all these people that are represented here, hey, who can open this scroll? <clears throat> who can open this scroll? And everybody's like, there's there's no one here that can do that. Not a single one of us. I, we, I can't, right? You can't. No one can open that scroll. <clears throat> and so, yeah, we think about that today. Who here is worthy of salvation, right? Not just open the scroll, but who here is worthy of salvation? Who here is sinless? Who here has loved the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength? Who here can honestly say that they love the Lord their God with most of their heart, most of their strength? Most of their mind, most of their soul. Who can even say that, right? If you can't say all, at most, half, right? Who, who here meets those? Who who here can check those boxes? Who here is worthy to even say that? None of us. Not a single one of us. Not our kids, because they're innocent. Not the adult. None of us are worthy. None of us are good enough. None of us were almost good enough, right? None of that. No one is worthy at all. No, no one is worthy of the salvation that God gives. There was this quote that I, I heard a while back, and, and it really stuck with me because it, it like, catches you off guard. Um, <clears throat> it said this, Jesus saw the best in you and died for it or died because of it, right? The best in you is still sinful, Right, we're not there's not an inkling of goodness within us that God saw as potential, and that's why He saved us. If that was the case, we would deserve it. Right? He saw the best in you, and it was still riddled with sin and needed salvation, still needed to die for. That's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't say it. So who is worthy? Right, if Jesus had to die for your sins, who is worthy? Well the good news is the gospel is is that you don't have to be worthy. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to do anything other than be honest with yourself. If you believe that you are a sinner and that God brought you salvation through His Son Jesus Christ and that it was him alone who paid for your sins, you're saved. That's it. You don't have to do anything. It's trusting in the one who did it all. Your duty is is before God is to believe in his son and the forgiveness that he has given you through his son. And that is the salvation of your soul. God's response. (coughs) God's response to you believing that is granting you that salvation and showing you steadfast love forever. That's what God does, right? We just believe what He said is true. That's that's it. So many want to tack on other things to it, but that's what salvation is. Believing what God said is true. It's 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 that simple. But it's like I said, grace, it's hard to grasp. I I, I need to do something. No, you don't. Jesus paid it all, right? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I claim. Let's pray.